Well, the shepherds were out in the field and basically God showed up and promised a great gift. It was a fantastic gift and we're going to be talking about that a little bit today. But before we jump into that gift, I do want to talk about gifts in general, um, especially um, anyone who ever received a bad Christmas present. Um, okay, I think these people are suggesting something. So like um, anyone actually given a bad Christmas present. So some people had their hands up. Now, because the thing is, when it comes to Christmas presents, like, I suppose we, for a lot of us, we, we, we have this idea that we do want to make people happy by the thing that we give them. But at the same time, there are other things that come in and, I suppose, put pressure on our filters. Sometimes it can be the fact that um, it can be a gift that might be really easy to do. And so we do it, or maybe it's something we've done all the time. And I remember years ago, I got myself in trouble uh, in my church in Brisbane because I was talking about one of the most given gifts at Christmas time. Uh, who would know what that gift is? One of the most... No, no, this is even more given than that one. Not, not money. Uh, no, fruitcake. Fruitcake, again, it's probably dropped a bit out because people don't like fruit, but for years and years... Fruitcake was one of the most given gifts. And at the same time, the survey that did this found out that most people did not like fruitcake. So they were receiving gifts um, that they didn't like. And I was, I was reading from this survey in my church in Brisbane and straight after the service, an older lady in our church who had, had made um, fruitcake and she'd actually been making it all the day before. And she, she basically and said, do you know what I was doing yesterday? I was making fruitcake. And I went, oh. I said, it, it's not my opinion. That was the survey's opinion. I tried to sort of deflect as much as possible, but there was no digging myself out of that hole. And so fruitcake could be one of those presents that you get at Christmas time. You go, do you know what? I could do without this. Um, I know I've been given fruitcake and, and then I've, what I've done with it, and this, some, this might be some of you as well, when you get that bad Christmas present, is you re-gift it. So fruitcake is probably best to re-gift that same year if you're going to re-gift it. Don't wait for another year to come along. But there might be things that you've got at different times. You're going, do you know what? I have no sort of human purpose for this at all. I might as well bring joy to someone else. And it's usually bring joy to someone else and also to stop me from buying them another present. So there's actually a couple of motives in that. Um, you also get into the process where someone gives you something that you weren't planning to give them. Like it maybe at work, someone who you barely work with gives you a present. And might just be a small box of chocolates. He goes, you weren't on my list. And now I have to go out and buy you something because you've bought me something. And kind of missing, the, I suppose, the purpose of gifts there. Um, some of us, and this is probably more for the kids, but having relatives who don't even know you, they buy you stuff that you'll think you like. And maybe they miss by about five years and you go, okay, I'll, I would have played with this five years ago. Or they buy you clothes which are too small or way too big. So sometimes you can get bad presents that way. And then this falls down, this probably falls back to the person buying the gifts because one of the filters that we buy gifts through is to make them an effective, effective use of our resources. Um, so in this, you could say people that just been, some people may be being wise with their money. Some people would say that they've just been cheap. Um, so it's probably, and there's probably somewhere along that line that some of us fall going, you know what? this is how much money it costs, can I find a cheaper version of that so I can come down to here? Um, because again, if I buy the best presents in all the world, 
like, and, and I'm going to run out of money and this will be the last Christmas I ever do. But the thing is, in talking about bad Christmas presents, is sometimes we rely on the joy for those and it quickly disappears. Um, who can remember what they got for Christmas last year? So, so it's still not bringing... There's only one person with their hand up in the room. So remembers what they got for Christmas. So is it still bringing you joy? No. I, at the top of, right at the top of my head, I go, you know what? I can't remember all the things that I got. And the thing is, though, we, we kind of hold up this hope and this, this joy or the expectation of joy that the presents we get this year will bring joy to those who receive it and joy because of, I've given them to you and they've made you happy. That's, that's what I'm looking for. But it's actually... It, it sort of deletes in our memory. As it starts deleting very quickly um, as Christmas comes and goes. So the thing is today, I want to look at a reason for hope and a foundation of joy that lasts beyond that. See, the first Christmas present was significantly different to what we talk about at Christmas time. Um, the Bible tells us in Luke uh, 2, uh, verses 8 to 12, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. He probably actually said, Please come out from under your blankets. Please stop hiding. And you over there that are in the cave, I know you're there too. Like, we kind of read through Scripture at times, and like, oh yeah, he said, don't be afraid, they were terrified. When I'm terrified, it takes me a little while to actually catch up and start breathing back at a normal point in time to sort of let my nerves settle a little bit. So the, the, the angels sort of let them give, them, give them some time. Don't, don't be afraid. Um, and he says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the downtown of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth lying in a manger. And Luke continues this story, and from what was read earlier, basically they hurried off. Once they got this news, they went, this is fantastic news. And and do you know what? We're outside of Bethlehem. It is just over there that I can go and see this great wonder. Um, And and so when they, they, they got there, when they seen the baby, their response was actually also significant. They didn't go like, um, you know, when maybe on, Sunday, uh, on, on Christmas Day you'll have some of the kids bring along their Christmas present and they'll come up to you and go, look at this fantastic new sort of device that does all this amazing thing. And some of us will sit there and go, do you know what? I don't even know what that is. I can't be as excited as you are, but oh, that's really fantastic. Well, kind of a little bit of a white lie there. Go, oh, you must be really happy. But the, the shepherds, they saw this gift that God had given and what did they do? They basically went and they told everyone, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard their story were amazed. All who heard what they were talking about were, were amazed by what the shepherds was, um, were sharing. And the Christmas present, this Christmas present was so different. And so even if we, so we talked about presents losing their value, but even experiences that we have at times like at time, we can kind of go, we're looking forward to this experience. We're looking forward to time with family on Christmas Day or, or maybe we're looking forward to Boxing Day when, when family are gone. I don't know, maybe one of the two, somewhere in the middle. But the thing is, that no matter what your experience, whether you're going to do a brand new experience, a new holiday, 
After a while, those experiences, even though they've got great memories, they become distant memories. And you can't rely on them to bring your joy. In the middle of doing things, like uh, earlier this year when our family got to go up to Cairns, and I remember coming down at the end of the day on, um, on the Sky Rail, and it's amazing views. You're looking around and it's sort of, you're just in this glass box looking over the top of these trees and amazing scenery. It's brilliant. And I still have good memories of that, but it's not as the same as the experience. And in a year's time, my memories will fade a little bit more. And, and in 10 years' time, I can't sort of say that's going to bring me joy in the present because it is gone. But with Jesus' gift, it's actually a gift of, of joy that is meant to be going on forever. Um, it's, it's different from all other gifts. And the shepherds show by their, their response how different a gift it was. It had such an impact on them that they spread the word as they went and it was a lasting hope and joy that could not be uh, contained. In fact, about three decades later after that encounter, Jesus gave an insight on this sort of hope and joy for our lives in John 15, 11. I've told you this so that, you may, that, your, that my joy may be, may be in you and your joy may be complete. That my joy might be in you. If you want to know joy, it's got to be my joy. If you want to know something that will be complete, it's got to be my joy. It's got to be in you. And in that, your joy will be complete. We all taste hope. We all experience joy. But how many of us could say that our joy is complete? There are about 250 passages in the Bible um, that deal with joy. And if you read them, you'll find the Bible doesn't just encourage joy. It commands joy. Now, I know I've tried that with my kids at times. You guys will sit there and you will be happy. That's the command. And normally it sort of, it sort of it goes from a frown to a straight mouth. That's about as far as it gets. They might stop fighting and screaming and yelling at each other, but they'll at least be quiet. And that brings my joy up a little bit, but not enough. But it's a command for us to actually know joy. Um, we aren't just given permission to laugh or to have some fun time. God wants our lives to be constantly overflowing and filled with joy. And is that how you would describe your life? Depending on your week, you might go, yes, yes I've had a great week. My life is full of joy. For some of you, you might go, do you know what? Last week was terrible and this week's looking worse. I don't know if I could say it's, it's overflowing with joy. The shepherd's joy was a result of what God had done. Watching sheep at night has its merits, but the hope and wonder and life-changing joy for them began when they first heard of Jesus. And the joy grew as they met Jesus. Joy begins for us in the same way as it began for the shepherds. It begins with meeting Jesus. And we've spent a lot of time talking this year about what things begin out of relationship with Jesus. And if you are not certain about that, you can't pursue everything that follows. You can't build a life of certainty, of faith. You can't know God's joy. You can't know God's direction unless you are in a place where you truly know God and God knows you. Without that foundation, how can we ever hope to have that lasting joy? An encounter with Jesus, however, remains to grow um, through all eternity. Meeting Jesus never stops impacting, shaping and transforming our lives. It never stops giving us hope and opportunities for joy. And with that foundation in mind, um, let's zero in on a few basic themes that recur in the numerous times in those 250 passages of joy. 
if we're going to walk in the joy of God, God has for us, it seems we should pay attention to what the Bible, not to pay attention not only what the Bible says, but repeats numerous times. While our foundation for joy comes as a result of what Jesus did for us, we find that embracing daily joy has little to do with what happens every day. In fact, in many of the passages in the Bible, hope and joy are more of a mindset or a posture for living that comes from what Jesus did at Christmas than simply a result or, uh, or feeling. It's an undeniable um, theme concerning joy in the Bible. And so let's look at embracing hope and joy that has been given to us. The Apostle Paul clearly demonstrates this truth in Philippians 4, 4, 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. And let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. One important part of walking in hope uh, and joy is simply to choose to rejoice in everything. It sounds like a bit of a challenge at times because sometimes we have difficult days, weeks, months, or if you wanted to sort of revisit 2020, you could say years. We can have times of difficulty and, and so... Basically, Paul is saying, I, I, I want you to rejoice. And he actually says it twice. Now, Paul was, was a, a person that would often try and make his point. And if he has to repeat something twice within one verse, he's wanting us to pay attention to it. Um, one important part of walking in hope and joy is simply to choose to rejoice in everything. Um, and again, it's not that, that false sense of... of um, Rejoicing over things that have gone wrong and going, oh, thank you, God, for, for all these horrible things happening to me. But it's actually looking for how God is at work in those situations. It is looking at those and how God is um, still providing you with the strength to get through. You can go through a horrible situation and, go and look back on it um, weeks or months afterwards and go, I couldn't have got that through that without God's strength or God's presence in my life. Rejoice in that. I can rejoice in that today. Um, much of the hope and joy and rejoicing in the Bible isn't really connected with circumstances. It's connected with a decision. In fact, one of the keys to a life of joy is to rejoice even when circumstances are disappointing or even painful. Um, normally good things happen and then we feel happy, we feel joy and then we rejoice. Our prospects look good. Um, and the hope fills our heart. But the Bible says that's fine, but actually it works the other way around. You start with rejoicing, and then you will feel joy. Like the shepherds, we always have a reason to rejoice. Christ has come. Joy flows out of rejoicing every bit as much as rejoicing flows out of joy. And so in that, we need to look at a hope and joy that can't be taken away. Again, we were talking about the presence earlier that after a while they, they, they lose some of their shine, I suppose. All the shiny presents wrapped under the tree and as soon as you open them, the value starts to, to, um, to, be, to disappear. But again, with the gift, that Jesus of, the gift of Jesus and the gift that Jesus has given us can't be taken away. You would know this, this um, well-known passage in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things... God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. All things is not some things. All things is not most things. All things is all things. So no matter what you go through, no, so you can be absolutely certain that one of two things is happening. Either God sent it or God is going to use it. Okay? And so 
And I think sometimes we, 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 we sort of dwell a little bit too much on that. Like if something's happening in our life and we sort of say, God, why have you done this to me? I think we probably need to get to the point quicker of saying, God, how are you going to use this in my life? What are you going to show me of yourself? What are you going to do in my life that I can rejoice in? In that, we can always have hope. We can always rejoice. And one of the eventual uh, outflowings of rejoicing is joy. Do you remember what the big sin that the Israelites fell into when they were wandering the desert? What was the biggest sin that they had? Well, who were Grumbling, whinging, yep, complaining. That was probably the biggest thing that they did. They worshipped other gods, but they would, they would be do without for a day. And they were just like, Moses, why have you done this, God? Why have you done this? Oh, we're, we're so hard done by. And here they are. They've been saved from Egypt without even raising a sword. Without even doing that. And then even they get to the promised land and all of a sudden the challenges in front of us are too big. We can't do this. Let's go back to slavery, they said. And so God says, 40 years in the desert, hopefully your kids are better than you. And then throughout generations, they would actually complain and complain and complain. Now, we're all called to share our burdens. And, and please, let's be honest with one another in our pain. So hopefully you've got people that you can pour yourself out to a little bit. But if we get to the point where complaining is our go-to practice, we complain about our work, um, our husbands or wife, our kids, politics, you complain about your church, you complain about your pastor, all of a sudden that becomes a sinful attitude that you take on. And it's actually incredibly um, dishonouring and divisive. Just as rejoicing and restores your joy, complaining actually steals it. So if you want to know more joy, but you want to complain about everything, and again, I fall, my, fall into the habit, just last night, as we were leaving the carols, it gets into like, like a, we've just been singing about peace on earth and goodwill to men and we're racing for did we get out in our cars and there's one way out of the music bowl and everyone's going for it and everyone's doing silly things and I'm sitting there and I'm feeling quite ungracious towards people um, that are pushing their cars into places that aren't even meant to go and I'm going that's not your way to go it's my turn to get out it's my turn to see be filled, the freedom of the highway again and all of a sudden, you fall into the habit of, of complaining. And you are there. And, and all of a sudden, we've just been singing about the joy and the peace and the hope and the proclamation of Jesus Christ. And what am I worried about? Getting home maybe 10 minutes earlier than I was going to. That habit can actually overflow into our life and it steals our joy. If you complain a lot, stop it. Complaining is actually a declaration of, of war against your own joy. Well, in that then, when it comes to joy, this is what we've got to realise. We don't settle for anything less. There's an undeniable theme um, connected to our continued hope and growing joy that's found throughout the Bible. It's clearly seen in Psalm 51. This is a beautiful and powerful passage which David wrote after he had an affair with Bathsheba and arranged for her husband to be killed. In verses 3 and 4, David said this, My sin is always before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. David was really clear about what he had done wrong. But I think the high point of this, um, of this psalm is in verse 12, where David prays, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. The first thing to notice is that David brings his life back into alignment with God's truth and God's word. Our sin 
almost certainly will bring temporary pleasure and momentary relief and maybe even a little happiness. I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but sin actually makes us feel good for about this much. If sin didn't make you feel good, we wouldn't do it. Like if veggies tasted great, we'd eat our veggies all the time. But the fact that junk food with heaps of fat and salt and sugar tastes fantastic, it gives us that momentary sort of buzz. Then it, our stomachs will hurt, our pants won't fit, uh, we can't sort of um, see our feet again, but it gives us a momentary point of joy, so a moment point of happiness. It's the same with sin. So don't ever think that I won't sin because I don't enjoy it. The fact that we do enjoy it is the problem. But it's only for a moment. We all know where it ends. It will steal our hope and crush our joy. And David also wrote these words in Psalm 19 verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Do you want your eyes to light up? Do you want to come alive? Do you want to have unshakable hope and joy? Then do things God's way. C.S. Lewis put it this way in the book Weight of Glory. He said, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who, who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think we too easily forget what it is the angel was announcing to the shepherds. I think we, I, I think we too easily forget what it means that the Saviour has been born to them and us. The truth of eternal life alone, if we really understand what it means for us, is more than enough to give us cause to rejoice in every single situation. Knowing that this life is not the end life. Knowing there is a greater life to come. And even if we're at a point where we have to enjoy, it is worth the wait. Because what Jesus has done. No matter what we go through, we can factually declare heaven is our real hope and a source of real joy. See, salvation includes heaven, but salvation is more than heaven. Salvation means that we are a child of God. Salvation means that we are part of God's family. To be God's child is to be always on God's mind, having God's in, God involved in working and everything. To be found in Christ is to be given the standing offer and ability to be in God's presence. Is that a reason for joy? The fact that no matter where you are, you can enter into God's presence and he will open the door for you and say, come in, child. Come and be with God. No matter when, my kids don't have that much access to me. There are times when I'll lock myself out of the house to ignore them for a little bit. Or say, hey, mummy and dad are talking right now. Or I'm on the phone. God will drop everything to, be, to let us be in his presence. Now, he is omnipresent and has a greater abilities than me, so I will give him credit there. Um, but also, salvation means to believe in Jesus is to always have his spirit, his insight, his help, his comfort and his strength in every circumstance. That's what David meant when he said, Lord, restore unto us the joy of your salvation. Make our joy complete as it is found in you. You alone, and it cannot be taken from us. What hope we have in you. Help us to see the great joy 
the shepherds witnessed that night. Joy is stolen when we forget what Jesus' arrival on earth means to our lives. So we search for it in a lesser ways instead of meeting and loving Jesus. When you think of Christians, do you see images of the people that are full of hope and joy? Do you, do you see that? Like when people talk of the church, are we spoken about people that have hope and joy? Sometimes we are. Sometimes we have negative sort of impressions that church is boring. Church is like they are actually judgmental. And again, I think some of this is a spiritual mask to actually discredit the church. But I think sometimes we've actually gone in the church and we're singing about the love of God and the hope of God and the peace of God and our mouth is not turned the right way. We are not enjoying the life that God wants for us. We're not enjoying what God wants to do in our lives because we don't know the joy that God has for us. People that are making the most of every moment. When I say followers of Jesus, do you think people of, that, I think of people who are full of hope and are marked by rejoicing? I hope you do. Life can be hard and we know the secret the shepherd told. The Saviour has come and in him we are saved. In him we win. And the amazing thing is, no matter what happens, that can never be taken away from us. Now, for some of you, like we look at Esther here, she's got a full life in front of her. No matter what challenges she faces, the truth and the joy that can be found in the fact that Jesus has come to save her is going to be true for the rest of her life. Some of you who are a little bit closer to the end of life and the challenges that you may face and the challenges you may go through doesn't change that fact either, that Jesus has come and he wants to, for you to know the joy in his salvation. Jesus said, tells us in John 8.36, If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So let's live like we're saved. Let's live like we know the joy that God has given us. Let's live like we're loved. Let's live like we're free. Every moment is a chance to sing and live out our praises to our amazing King. Every moment is a chance to rejoice. Every moment is an opportunity to be filled with and overflow with joy. And let your, strength, let your strength arise. Let your hope arise. Rejoice in the Lord always. And as Paul says, again I say rejoice. Today I, I pray that you would increase your vision and expectancy of the joy and the hope that we have. Because Jesus has come. Jesus wants to know us. And Jesus has a plan for us. Would you just pray with me this morning? But I thank you for the gift of your son. A, a gift that is never loses any of its value. A gift that is continually giving to us. A gift that is, in a way, um, growing in our lives the greater that we know you. I, may, I pray that each one of us would know who you are and what you have done personally. And in so doing, let that relationship impact us from this day on. I pray for those in this room that do not know you, that they would... Find a way to come to know you, to know that, that you, are, you are the Christ who has come and, and died on the cross to pay for their penalty, that they, may, they know, may know the fullness of life. And Lord, I, I pray today as we reflect and, and, and experience and remember again what the shepherds experienced on that first night, that we would rejoice in what you have done. And with that, we would go and tell others with joy and hope in our hearts and others would be amazed as well. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.